Welcome to Bound for Justice, your weekly podcast that explores race, reconciliation, and social justice, one book at a time. Join us for a candid discussion about taking steps to create change in our lives and the communities we live in. And now your hosts, Rachel Rosman and Charlotte Wilson. Well, good morning, ladies. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing good. Doing well. Doing pretty good. Good. I'm Charlotte Wilson. I'm Rachel Rosman. And I'm Sharissa Foley. So this week we are discussing the topic of reparations. And we're exploring this idea um, via the article written by ta Coates in the Atlantic Monthly in 2014. Um, that article, The Case for Reparations, um, is still available online. Um, in fact, you can even listen to a SoundCloud recording of um, the article if you want. And it's a pretty lengthy article. So um, I actually listened to the SoundCloud recording of it. And um, there's, there are you know, also lots of other places where you can find um, other references to that article. Um, but the subject of reparations has actually been, you know, sort of the, I, I don't want to say there's been a revival, but there, I mean, there kind of has been sort of a, a resurgence, I would say, in the idea of reparations. We've heard it discussed a lot in the news. Um, it's definitely shown up in some of the, the Democratic uh, candidate, uh, presidential candidate debates recently. And we've, you know, we've seen some of the... Um, the uh, co- uh, discussions within Congress around reparations. The way that Ta-Nehisi Coates really summarizes sort of the article that he wrote is um, 250 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal, 35 years of racist housing policy, until we reckon with our compounding moral de- debts, America will never be whole. Um, and I think that that's... Um, yeah, that's that's definitely a a, um, a great way, I think, to sort of sort of sum up what reparations is. So, I mean, the kind of the idea of reparations is sort of a big topic. And I know I went into um, reading that article with some of my own preconceived ideas around reparations. But I'm curious to know, um, did you guys what was the what was the idea that you had around reparations before reading that article? And how do you feel different about reparations after? I think I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I'd only heard of it kind of in passing, I guess. Or I'd heard about ta Coates's article. And I'd read through parts of that. But I hadn't, um, I hadn't really thought about it. Because I think it seemed like such a big idea. Like mm-hmm. it seemed so overwhelming that I really didn't know how, how it would play out. Um, I think that after I read it, I felt like I had a better idea of how to defend the idea when you would talk to other people because it comes up sometimes in conversation mm-hmm. and it's a bit of a hot topic and can really divide people. So I thought I had better information and more data, I guess. Yeah. I I think, too, much like lots of really complex topics, when we try to sort of shrink down or sort of um, explain reparations in a nutshell – you it really becomes a lot less one dimensional than what it is. It's kind of it's really a comp, very complex topic, and so I think a lot of my ideas around it were very one dimensional. Um, I know I listened to a an interview with Tanahasi Coates, which is which was actually fairly recent, maybe within the last few months. It was on the New Yorker podcast. We'll post a link to that podcast. But he was talking about why he. Um, wrote the article, and he um, harkens back to um, the Dave Chappelle show. I don't know if you guys ever watched the Chappelle show. And there's actually a skit in the Chappelle show where um, it's sort of the idea of, like, what if we actually did have reparations in America? Like, what would happen? Um, And it it was meant to be funny. 
But um, Ta-Nehisi Coates said what he really was trying to sort of work against was, was this idea that reparations was a joke, that it was actually funny, like it was something that was never going to happen. Um, and that sort of that one-dimensional idea or sort of the funny view of it that we might see in a Chappelle show, he wanted people to actually take it seriously and think about, like, why it might be needed. Um, so I don't know. That's that I definitely felt when I finished um, listening to the article on SoundCloud, I actually felt kind of embarrassed because my idea of reparations was like 50 acres and a mule or the Chappelle show skit, you know, like I was going to get a check in the mail. And the way that he, the argument that he presents and the examples that he presents, you know, definitely give you that full color view of what it means to enact reparations. I think also with when you think of reparations, you think of like reparations for slavery and Mm -hmm. not everything that followed from then, like all these other issues that happened because of racism throughout throughout all of history. Yeah, that's exactly how I experienced it. I thought I had a basic understanding or what my understanding was was very basic I guess I should say instead you know the 40 acres and a mule but after you know reading the article it's so much deeper and so much more than that it's so much more compounded when you really break it down and until you really dig into it and and read about what it really is you're that basic view is all you're going to have so um, I, I took away a lot from it and I learned a lot and I was like oh I had no idea I really learned a lot so so just for people who maybe still have that one-dimensional view and really haven't thought about what reparations is, do one of you two want to sort of give your take on how you would explain reparations now? I think it's trying to maybe there's been so long throughout history that people were at such a disadvantage that it's trying to kind of get a group caught up. I think there's a quote. I forget who said it. Um, but it's like you can't have somebody hobbled their entire life and then expect them to run the race and win mm-hmm. or even be able to compete. Um, that's not the exact quote. And I think it's sort of that situation. Like you can't have people who were constantly, you know, throughout government laws, um, segregated to certain areas, having less, having to pay more for things, redlining, all this stuff happening, and then expect them to be able to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so what do we owe people to allow them to get up to the same level as everybody else has been at? Yeah. Um, I mean, like when you think there's so much that goes into it and so many disadvantages that people have had to had to work through. Um, So I think it was just kind of a a way that the government sort of how they can try to even the playing field a little bit more after hundreds of years of, you know, disadvantage. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really hit me, I, I said, you know, I was kind of embarrassed that I really didn't have an understanding. I really had no clue. I think one of my my biggest sort of aha moments are embarrassment. And I, I almost even I almost hate to admit this, but I also feel like it's important for us to sort of talk about these places where we didn't realize how much of a, a blind spot we had on things. Um, you know, earlier when we first started the podcast, we talked about the book, The Color of Law which is all about housing discrimination. And um, that The Color of Law, that was written by um, Richard Rothstein. 
and um, Richard Rothstein and Tanahasi Coates, you know, they they had talked, they had, you know, they know each other. And Tanahasi, I think I'd mentioned, he really pushed Richard to write that book and get it out there because um, you know, there was a lot of research he had been doing, and I think it was maybe going a little bit longer. And so Richard was really encouraged by Tanahasi to to get the book out. And now I understand why, and I didn't really, I didn't really get it. I mean, I didn't get that. Everything that Richard was talking in his book was directly, and I obviously I hadn't read the case for reparations because the entire um, article um, that Coates writes is all about housing discrimination mm-hmm. um, in Chicago, and he tells this really vivid story about um, a gentleman who who grew up in the Deep South and experienced discrimination, and you know his family had success; they were working really hard as a black family, and they had had it taken away from them um, unfairly. Um, through discriminatory acts in the South. So then they come north and then thinking that, you know, they're going to have a better life and they, they experience the same discrimination again through housing discrimination. Um, so I, I was really, and that was one of the points where I was really embarrassed not realizing that reparations, again, isn't about slavery, isn't about saying, oh, we're sorry about, you know, hundreds, hundreds of years of slavery. It's about saying, no, we realize that there are things that are happening today that are causing in- inequities and something needs to be done about it today. Um, and also recognizing, I think, the the, um, the whole idea of generational wealth, that it compounds itself. It's not just one incident that happened. It's something that happened and happens over and over and has long-term effects well beyond the initial incident. Yeah, there was one story about the gentleman that you're speaking of um, who had moved to Chicago to to have an opportunity for a better life. And because of the housing discrimination, he was forced to work a second job in order to pay for his house and his housing. And so because he had to work extra um, and because his his house payment was higher than, you know, some of the white families in his neighborhood, um, he actually had to take his kids out of private school. So his kids were um, discriminated against from having a better opportunity education wise because he had such a high house payment that he wasn't able to to afford the private schooling anymore. And then you think about, well, because he had to work a second job just to keep their house, um, he wasn't there. So their kids were not only deprived of better education, they were also deprived of having a father at, in, in the home. So you think about it in that way, and that's where that, you know, compounding over time, that's where it really hit me as to, wow, it's not just about the 40 acres and a mule. It's about your, the whole um, you know, how, how black culture has developed over time and you have all these different things that, you know, just not having your dad at home or having to work extra, not having a better education, that stuff compounds over time. And that's, that was really, really hit home to me, that particular story. Mm-hmm. So um, in response to the Coates article, so as we mentioned, you know, the original Case for Reparations article was published in 2014, so five years ago, um, that, you know, since we've, we had sort of this, um, I would say, landmark article that really opened a lot of people's eyes around reparations. Um, David Brooks, um, he wrote a, an article in the New York Times just recently, I think it was in the last, it may, it may have been this year or last year or so, where he sort of um, gives his opinion, so it was an opinion piece, um, sort of 
detailing his, I would say, his journey towards understanding reparations. And um, he talks about how when he first read that article, like he really couldn't connect with it, didn't make sense to him. He didn't even necessarily agree with it. But now he kind of, over time, he's had an opportunity to process and really understand it. Um, One of the quotes that he makes in that article, he says, "Um, reparations are a drastic policy and hard to execute. But the very act of talking about and designing them heals a wound and opens a news story. Um, so I guess I'm wondering what you guys think. Do you what do you think about the idea of, you know, actually enacting reparations? Do you think it's even possible? Um, do you think that that's um, something that people are open to here in the United States? I think it would be really hard to enact reparations. It seems like such a huge and daunting thing. Like, where do you even start? So It just seems like such a big thing. But for me, getting the conversation started is is critical and most important at this point, just so that everybody has a better understanding of what it's about. Mm -hmm. And and I think by starting that conversation, that's where you can kind of start to see, Okay, now that we are kind of all on the same page, what can we do? What small steps can we do to kind of, you know, bridge the gap and 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 repair things? But like I think Rachel said before, it's such a huge daunting thing. I'm I'm not exactly sure how we could actually enact it and make it happen. The other thing we sort of don't consider is that in our group, we're like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. This is good. But then presenting it to the entire public, like saying something like that, there's always people who are going to put up a fight about something. Mm-hmm. And if you think about all the stuff that we're talking about now in the news with like gun control, global warming, um, you know, police brutality, people are arguing so much about actual physical things that we can see happening. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the news has pictures all the time and and we're seeing it. Whereas reparations is more abstract for people, I think. Like, well, I don't actually see how this is working. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking at this. I don't see slavery happening and I haven't looked at any, you know, I don't know housing, the housing market. And um, so I think that if it would be presented, it wouldn't, necessarily be welcomed by the general public so i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on that just a little bit because i think the idea of coates's article was exactly what you just said like people can't see it right it's so hard to Mm -hmm. get and that was i think that was the whole point of his article is that look like here's an example of what we're talking about this is why we need reparations um i guess i'm just wondering like how do you get people to see that, though? You know what I mean? But Maybe I feel that's like part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that him saying that just opening, like just starting that conversation and showing yeah. that a wrong was done is really a step in the right direction. And maybe um, by putting that out there and having people say things like maybe not everything that's going to be said is going to be helpful or healing, but getting that out of the way then and bringing up that conversation, you know, it's not... It's, it's getting us farther than where it's we were. It's a process. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a process. Very much a process. Yeah. Um, so that podcast that I mentioned where um, Coates was interviewed just recently on the New Yorker, New Yorker podcast, um, there were a couple of interesting things that um, he mentioned sort of about around this idea of um, what the article did. He said there um, Elizabeth Warren, after the article was published, actually reached out to him personally. Oh, wow. And said, I want to understand more about this. So they actually had a conversation. And granted, that was five years ago. He said, I haven't heard from her since. But, <laughs> but <laughs> she's he did. a little busy, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> she's a little busy. Um, but, you know, he was talking about some of those things. And um, I don't know if we talked about this. Did we talk about the experience that he had in the restaurant 
that was something else that he discussed in that podcast. He said after, did we talk about this? I don't, I'm, I'm looking I don't think so. I no, feel I, like we did, but I think it was maybe when we weren't recording. Okay. So um, a couple of, or I don't know, I don't know. It was after the article had been published and he really didn't understand the effect it was going to have on other people. I mean, he just thought it was an article he published. He didn't realize it was going to be this big deal. Um, he, he, I think he goes into a restaurant or a bar or something and there's a couple there and they see him and they like get so excited and the woman's like, praise God. And the guy's like, oh my goodness. And they run out to their car and they come back in and they actually have a, co- a, a copy of that that issue of the Atlantic Monthly and they asked him to sign it. And he's like, what is going on? Because it meant so much to them. It was a black couple. It meant so much to them to to see um, the effect that the article had and for him to so eloquently explain why this was needed. It just it had a, a real effect on them. So it was just interesting to sort of hear him talk about the experiences that he had as an author after the fact with um, with the article. Um, so and I, he also mentioned that he he himself never had the intent that he's like, I don't know if reparations will ever happen. That kind of wasn't my point. My point was exactly what you said, Rachel, is for people to actually talk about it and even start thinking about yeah. it, Yeah. Um, which um, I think it certainly has had that effect. Most definitely. So I did want to bring up one other thing. Um, in response to reading this article and kind of thinking about it and in preparation for our conversation, I wanted to make sure, obviously, having my own embarrassment about not really understanding reparations, I did a little bit, um, a, a little more digging. Um, and I know that we, um, we've we recently seen, well, some of us may have seen um, some of the comments that have come from Mitch McConnell um, from, uh, in recent months. And, you know, ta Coates actually went and testified before Congress around reparations. And that whole conversation came from um, um, H.R. 40, which is actually um, a, a, a proposal that's been, I think, on the books um, waiting for approval um, with Congress for 30 years, um, it's been it's it was originally introduced by a congressman that's that's no longer there. Um, but basically, the whole idea this is the only thing that HR 40 is about. The whole idea is um, the proposal is to create a commission to study and develop reparation proposals for African Americans. The only thing is to create a committee. They don't they're not saying we're enacting reparations. They just want to create a committee to explore the idea and to see if they can come up with a proposal for what it looks like. And it's been stuck in Congress without approval for 30 years. That's, That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we need to enact it. Let's get it going. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I have to be honest with you. I think part of the reason why it's been stuck is because they know if they, if they it's like opening a can of worms, right? right? And then once right. you start looking at something, you can't turn away from it. Yeah. And the, there will be a responsibility to actually take action. So the other the, the other thing that I learned, which I thought was really interesting um, around reparations, is that you know we think about the government taking responsibility for enacting reparations for um, African Americans. One thing I'm not sure people know about when they think about whether or not we should enact reparations is that this has actually been done before, and this has actually been done before in the United States. Did you guys know that? No, not at all. No. So. Um, let me take a look here. Did I write it? Down I, mean, I know here? we've wronged people in the past. <laughs> <laughs> really? But I didn't what? realize how what they repaid that. Um, oh, here it is. Okay, so reparations. Um, reparations. Um, reparations were actually paid back in the 1980s to um, Japanese families and their relatives who were uh, put in the internment camps during oh. the war. 
Wow. Yep. Japanese internment camp victims and their descendants were awarded reparations in the 1980s. Um, I think the biggest difference between what happened with the reparations for the Japanese internment camp victims and their families versus what we might see for African Americans is the sheer volume of people affected. Um, you were talking about about 90,000 people who um, benefited or received some sort of payback with the Japanese reparations. Wow. You know, I just find it interesting also, we could probably do an entire podcast on this, that the United States is okay with saying, yeah, we really wronged the Japanese people after, you know, for World War II, and, you know, sorry, here's here's our payback. But, like, we had an entire group of people that we we only brought over here to do wrong to. Like, we brought an entire group that we have no good intentions of with. But we don't really owe them an apology. Like, I mean, it's it's just kind of a, a different, I don't know. I can't really get a grasp on why everything is so taboo to talk about, maybe. Mm. Um, or why it's okay. Like, yeah, we, we really wronged these people. Or we really wronged these people. These people really had a rough go. But no, you know, it's just part of history. You're like, right. we're still going to keep all these monuments up. And we'll keep this flag flying. And, you know, everything's okay with this because... We're not too ashamed. Like, we're not going to apologize over that one or pay anybody back. <laughs> I think it's just overwhelming. I, I do. And I think, um, and I it, I hearken back to Rothstein's book where he does talk about reparations and what it would mean to sort of make right on housing discrimination. And he mentions, he's like, if we were to actually do something like this and do it in the right way, everybody's going to, will have to do something so everyone will end up paying up in some way shape or form and I think that that's just a really hard Mm -hmm. a bitter pill for folks to swallow especially you know if you think about like what um, Mitch McConnell said you know we weren't alive during slavery and there's nobody here that we so we shouldn't be paying for the you know the sins of people who are no longer here Um, that whole idea I think is just a a really tough one to get around sometimes and I think that whole kind of like that piece of the pie thing where mm-hmm. just because somebody's getting as much as me doesn't mean I'm getting less. Yes. And people really have trouble grasping that concept. Like they have it more of the, if somebody's getting more pie, then I'm not getting as much, yes. which is not the case. Um, so I think with reparations, people are like, well, now how's that How's that hurting me? Well, it's not. It's right. not hurting you. Somebody else is just being, is just being able to be at your level now that you have previously tried to keep back. Goes deep. Yeah. yeah. That's the key idea. I mean, you think someone's taking something away from me because I'm making it fair for the other people that have been wronged. It's, you know, how dare you take something away from me? That I didn't even really work extra hard for. Right. Like, that I was really never at a point where I earned it. Careful now there, Rachel. What's she talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I do have one more idea around reparations that I do want to share with you guys. Um, And that is also something that I discovered, which I found very interesting. Um, So we talk a lot about what the government should do and what the government should pay for reparations or what the government's role is is in reparations. But I actually found um, an article where there is um, a, a program that exists. It's in Washington state where private citizens are taking responsibility and paying reparations to Native, a Native American tribe that lost their land. And the people who are there, basically, there's been, I, I believe there's been like a lawsuit that's been out for a, real, a long time um, with this Native American tribe saying, hey, this was our, our native land. This was our ancestral land that's been taken away from us. And now um, you're profiting from it. We want, we want our payback. We want our money. 
Um, and instead, um, a private program's been set up where the people who are actually living there today, I believe, I don't know if it's an apartment building, um, but basically they're paying rent to the tribe through a private payment. So you as a citizen who might be living on that land had had no idea that it previously belonged to a Native American tribe. You weren't here, you didn't know, but you are benefiting from the fact that there was a loss that was experienced by that tribe. You can choose to pay back that tribe for renting their land. Um, and to date, they've actually received a total of um, $300,000 through the real rent program where you can literally go online and say, I'm gonna make a monthly payment. I'm gonna pay this tribe. Uh, as a as a recognition of of what they've lost, I thought that was awesome. That's really cool. That's yeah. like a voluntary thing. These people decide on their own to mm-hmm. do this. That's really cool. Yeah, because they they have a personal understanding for what that means. Wow, that, that's a great idea. But it, it does put it into more of a um, such a huge, like overwhelming. Yeah, when you look at um, reparations. Yeah. So, but I guess I I put that out there though as maybe a seed in it, and I I think the one thing that's important when you when you talk about stuff like this is it's not a handout, um, it's a payback, and yeah. I think those are two different things. Very much, yeah. Um, but so if you think in your everyday life, if you have a real understanding of the ways that you've benefited because of um, because of what the the, the misfortune of, or disadvantage of other folks. If you have a recognition of that, then it ge- it opens you up to the opportunity of how can I how can I pay that back? How can I say I recognize I can't I can't control all of it. I can't do government reparations, but I can do this one little small thing that shows that I recognize and respect um, you, the role that you had that you played in my ability to live the way that I do. I really uh, like how you worded that. That was really great. You. I'm really I'm really proud of you, Charlotte. Don't ask me to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> that was really that was really well well put. Nice job. Thanks. Um, so does anybody have anything else to say about reparations? I know it's kind of a heavy topic, but. I just think it's so important just to understand it more. Understand it fully. Don't be afraid to talk about it, you know. Yeah. With people who are receptive, I guess. <laughs> and it's still okay to laugh at the Chappelle show. Yeah. Because it is funny. <laughs> Which, yeah, we just watched a special last night. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. just good to keep it in the in in your mind. I think with everything going on, it's easy to push stuff kind of back or not mm-hmm. keep it in the forefront but it's something that you really do need to consider especially if they've been still trying to put a committee together yeah <laughs> like, exactly well and I mean even that whole idea of reparations I mean even you think about something small that you could do like um you know give to the to the the the, the local UNCF or some other organization that's that's um, working to um, assist underrepresented folks mm-hmm. in the community. I mean, that's a way that you could you could choose to give back in a small way. So, all right, shall we move on to taking action? Sure. Taking action. Um, Are you gonna sing? Oh, taking action. <laughs> you changed the song. I don't even know what the first one was. I don't remember. Taking action. <laughs> I'm not I as good remember. as Sharice. I didn't get the singing jeans. I know everybody's like, oh, no, you geez. did not. No, stop. <laughs> so taking action. Um, so the YWCA Columbus, um, I um, subscribe to their email newsletter and they're always doing a lot of really cool things and they have a lot of opportunities to, um, get involved, but their, um, their mission statement is, um, the YWCA Columbus defies a status quo that puts women, people of color and the underprivileged on uneven footing. 
By fostering dialogue, providing practical resources, and educating, we promote empowerment and inclusion. We initiate systematic social change that will create a Columbus of peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. I really like their mission statement and what a better organization to partner with. Um, And a lot of times it can feel overwhelming trying to figure out how you can make an impact. And they have several uh, volunteer opportunities um, and it takes the guesswork out of it. So some of their opportunities include serving meals, organizing their donation closet, um, running the their urn store. Um, you can lead a kids activity. You can help with childcare, and you can even um, host a special event or a donation drive. They have leadership opportunities and community engagement events. So there's a lot of really cool ways that you can get involved. They have a whole page on their website devoted to all their volunteer opportunities. Um, I really like how they um, take. Uh, they, they provide a lot of leadership opportunities, too, for women, which I think is great. Um, so if you are in the Columbus area, check out the YWCA Columbus. Um, they also were involved with the Big Table Talk mm-hmm. recently um, that just happened this past week in Columbus. Um, so I think they're a really cool organization, a lot of cool ways to get involved, um, even if it's just for an hour or two donating your time somewhere. Um, or taking advantage of their leadership opportunities, um, you can get involved. So um, if you're not in the Columbus area, but you um, maybe could check out your local YWCA, um, there's there's locations all over the country, um, but it's a really great organization to get involved in. Have, have either of you do- or, um, donated or volunteered at the YWCA at all in the past? I have not. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rachel. No, I have not volunteered there either. I've, I have checked into some of their volunteer opportunities because they do have some that are family friendly. Yes, I just haven't pulled the do. trigger on any of them. Um, um, the organization that I work for, we do some sponsorship work with the YWCA. So I've had an opportunity to go to some of their events in the past. Uh, and I loved them. They were great. I mean, they honestly, I do think they have some of the best events in town. Yeah, they do. There's one coming up this fall, too, with a local author. Um, she's got a, uh, I think she's got a blog um, and a social media presence called Real Girls Fart. Um, so, which I really <laughs> love. I just love that. But I've been following her, too. But she's it's an acronym, she, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, she's going to be their guest, the author, the local author. I can't remember her name. But she's going to be um, their big speaker at their, their event this fall. Um, so they just really have a lot of cool things to get involved in. Mm-hmm. So. Check out the YWCA. Nice. Thanks, Charissa. All right. In the news. In the news. Um, somebody had mentioned to me to look up information about the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project is from the New York Times. It's a project through the New York Times. And it's to correct, record, reframe, and reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the center of the national narrative. And it's in... Um, Recognition of the 400th year since slaves enslaved people were brought over from West, West Africa. Hmm. So interesting. So is this going to be like a series or do you know more about how people would I believe look it's into a it? series. It's like a yeah, series of things they're looking into from the New York Times or it's an initiative they started. Um, so you presumably need a New York Times subscription. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> Forget what I said about capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still looking into it myself. Um, I had I'd heard about it and kind of looked into it a couple different times and wasn't getting all the information that I wanted. 
to kind of, like I couldn't really wrap my brain around what it was doing, I guess. I understood the main idea, but as far as how it was being carried out, um, so we'll put a link to the sixteen eighteen yeah. project. I mean, I think any major news outlet that's that's making an attempt to to highlight elements of our our history that aren't necessarily always um, shared, I think, is important. And I can I certainly applaud them for that. And I think now, um, with the nature of politics, news organizations are really citing like. Like they're mm. kind of taking their chances with things. Sometimes they try to play it a little bit cool with stuff, and now they're like, "Well, we know whatever. Let's do this. Let's put this out there, and you know, let's let's not try to walk the line as much anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, so I've noticed that a lot more with the news. I thought, yeah. Thank you, Charlotte and Rachel, for a great conversation today. Um, and we are so glad you joined us. Um, we would love to hear your feedback regarding today's topic of reparations. Um, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on our social media. Uh, you can also email us at boundforjustice at gmail.com, or you can even leave us an old-fashioned voicemail by calling 614-450-0372. We love hearing back from you. So please, please let us know what you're thinking. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. And next week, we will discuss the book titled, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria and Other Conversations About Race by Beverly Daniel Tatum. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited. Until next week. See ya. All right. See you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Bound for Justice. Join us next week for another conversation about creating change in our lives and the communities we live in. 